Well, good morning. I uh, want to thank you all for sharing your pastor with us over at Grace Reformed this morning. I won't go into all the details that have brought this about, but we are glad for opportunities to have him come and minister to us, and we're glad for the growing fellowship between our congregation and yours. It's a delight for me to be here for the first time. Um, would you please turn with me, if you have your Bibles today, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> As you are turning, I want to make reference to another passage of Scripture in John's Gospel chapter 12. You don't need to turn there. But there was an occasion when there was a feast in Jerusalem that there were Greeks present, and those Greeks were curious about meeting Jesus Christ. They'd no doubt heard a great deal about him, and they came to Philip and asked, Sirs, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and, went and told Andrew, and Philip and Andrew went and spoke to Christ. <clears throat> I want to, uh, before we read Acts chapter 1, I want to remind you that we can't do that. We can't do that. Um, Jesus Christ was there in Jerusalem in the flesh, and people could come and they could see him and they could touch him. We can't do that. I want us to think about that for a moment. Um, <clears throat> the story is told about some enthusiastic uh, young people in the city of London, uh, maybe 30 or 40 years ago, who really had gotten in touch with good theology and they were reading books and real excited about reading people like Charles Spurgeon and J.I. Packer and so forth. And uh, one night this young fellow who was really new to the group and wasn't familiar like some of the others were with all ancient writers and so forth, and he, as they were going out to a service somewhere, he said, are we going to hear Mr. Spurgeon tonight? And uh, he had heard them say, Spurgeon said, and this, that, and the other so many times, he kind of assumed that he was a living person. Our, our society is getting so, so gospel ignorant that it is not too far-fetched for someone to hear us say, you need to meet Jesus. You need to know Jesus. And they might assume that if they showed up at our church next Sunday, they would see Jesus. Well, it is a little bit far-fetched, but I want us to think about the fact that people will not see Jesus when they come to our church. Not in the way these Greeks we're hoping to see him. And Acts chapter 1 tells us why. Let's begin in verse 1. Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, 
appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when he had come together, or when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white, clo white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." There are obvious things here. This is the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why he is not here this morning physically. He ascended bodily into heaven. Now, the disciples could not imagine, even after 40 days of post-resurrection instruction from him, they could not imagine carrying on kingdom work without Jesus being present with them. And, and that's probably one of the reasons they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you do the heavy lifting and the kingdom will come and the, the work will be done? But they, they no doubt despaired at the thought of carrying on without Jesus with them. After all, John could say, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There was something about being with him. There was something about just looking at him and hearing his words that was astounding. You remember there were some people commissioned by the Sanhedrin to go and arrest Jesus one time. And they went, and they stood, no doubt, on the periphery of the, the crowd listening to his word. And they went away without doing a thing. And they came back to the leaders of the Sanhedrin, and the leaders said, where is he? And they, all they could say was, no man ever spoke like this man. There's an incident when the arresting officers came to take Jesus in the garden, and uh, it's often overlooked, uh, but Jesus answered, and they all fell back. <laughs> Just a demonstration of the power that is resident in this man they're about to take and treat him like a common criminal and crucify him on the cross. He just speaks a word, and they all fall back. 
They have to get themselves up again. If we are honest with ourselves, there's a lot about being a Christian and being a witness for Christ in this sinful world that makes us think it sure would be easier if Jesus was actually here. That's true. But he's not. Has God made a mistake? Has God just overlooked something that uh, should have been included in his plan? No. And the first thing I want to say about the ascension today is that it is according to plan. In John 16, 28, we read these words. Jesus said, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. A, a, a simple statement of the facts. This is the plan. I came into the world. I came from the Father. Now I'm going out of the world. I'm going back to the Father. Dear people, there's a plan. There's a plan, and God is executing that plan in every age. It's a very old plan, and it's a very good plan. The coming of Christ was wonderful. The incarnation is a wonderful doctrine. The, the implications of the incarnation are staggering. But it lasted 33 and a half years. There's more that doesn't include him actually being present physically in this world. And if we had been there, if we had been one of the disciples, we would have said, this is not long enough. You've not been here long enough, Lord. We're just getting started. You mean you're going away? And yet it was according to plan. And dear friends, we, we must be careful as Christians not to try to compensate for the fact that Jesus is not here physically causing all the excitement uh, among thousands of people that he was during those three and a half years of ministry here in the world. Uh, it is not God's purpose that his work be carried on in that exciting way that it was carried on in the time that Jesus was actually here in the world. And sometimes we romanticize that and we think, oh, if we could just do something to cause some excitement. Um, and the temptation of some is to say, we can work miracles just like Jesus did when he was here. But the more common problem is that we try to figure out some way to have religious extravaganzas that really excite people and want them to come together. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm all in favor of having as interesting and as exciting a service as we possibly can within the bounds of biblical principle there's nothing inherently spiritual about being boring. <laughs> so that's not the problem. The problem is that ordinarily, no matter what efforts we put into it, kingdom work is not outwardly, obviously exciting. 
And the excitement that we are to have is not the excitement of outward show, but the excitement in our spirits that God has done great things for us and we want to share them. The fact that it is a part of the plan of God, that Jesus Christ only spent 33 and a half years here and only three and a half years in public ministry, that is the plan of God. And now Christ has gone back to heaven, ought to remind us that heaven is really the happening place. Heaven is really the place we ought to be thinking about. Heaven is really the place that ought to be the object of our desires. It's interesting that Christ, when he was facing the cross, said, Father, if it is possible for this cup to pass from me, not my will, but yours be done. But when it came time for him to ascend back to heaven, he did not pray that way. There's every indication that he wanted to go back to heaven. And he wanted us to join him there. In his high priestly prayer, John 17, 2, he said, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you, may give, you, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He wants us to be with him. The heaven, heaven is the wonderful place that the Bible describes it to be. And in Colossians 3, we are exhorted, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Let your, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And so when we are trying to get people to meet Jesus, we're trying to get them to come to church and to be able with us to set their minds on things above where Christ is, to be able to learn this spiritual secret, as it were, of being able to commune with the living Christ by faith through his holy word. And that's where the power comes from. That's where the real saving worth is. Now, the second thing I want to say about the ascension is the disciples, in spite of the fact that it was the plan of God that Christ not remain with them, and this was not easy for them to take, this was not, we, we read it, and it was a long time ago, and we, we've never known anything, but Jesus is not here physically. We learn about him. We teach our children about him. But nobody supposes that he's actually here physically present. We're used to it. They were not. And the fact is that Christ was going away and they were left here. This is utterly new to them since they became disciples. They are left alone. How is it even though it is the plan of God, how is it good? How is it wise? And our passage in Acts chapter 1 gives us clues about that. Notice again, verse 1. The writer, who is evidently Luke, says, The first book, O Theophilus, 
I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I think that clearly implies Jesus is not through doing and teaching. Jesus, as he was in the Gospel of Luke, is doing work, and he is continuing to do work. Christ is still the one who is building his church. Christ is still the one who receives all the glory. Christ is still active in the hearts and the lives of his people. Mark 16:20 says that after the ascension, the believers went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. Do you, do you have a sense that the Lord is working with you when you prepare your Sunday school lesson or when you prepare to go out and witness to someone, when you go about your daily task, when you are trying to sanctify the Lord God in all that you do? Do you sense that the Lord is with you? I tell you, you have every right to sense that. You have every right to think in those terms. Jesus is not dead and gone. He is alive and present. And that is my privilege, and I can draw close to him, and I can draw from his strength. Not only that, not only that, but another one, another member of the Godhead, like Christ, will come to carry on the work of the kingdom. He says in chapter 1, verse 8, and when he had said, excuse me, verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus, in John 14, 6, said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And the word helper there means another of the same kind. And we know theologically that the Holy Spirit is indeed the third person of the Godhead. God is with us in the sense that the Holy Spirit has been sent to us. I, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, or excuse me, John chapter 16. And I want to read several verses there. John chapter 16, beginning with verse 4. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Now notice that, I, I was with you. Now, there's coming a time when I will not be with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. Now, dear, dear friends, I want you to notice two or three things about this passage. Jesus specifically says this because they're sad. He knows their sorrow. And even though we have not felt that traumatic change of Christ being bodily with us and, and speaking in such a way that it just dazzles us and, and working miracles, we, we haven't undergone that change, yet there is sometimes a sadness, a sadness which comes out of the frustration of trying to live for God in this evil world. Trying to witness to others whose hearts are very hard and, and we just don't get any results and after a while you just think, I'm not going to beat my head against a brick wall anymore. This is too unpleasant. This is too hard. The Holy Spirit is the answer to that difficulty. He is the only one who can convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And if we do have a heart, even though we sometimes think it's very weak, my, my desire to see others come to Christ and thus Christ receive fame and glory and honor in this world as he deserves to. It's very, very weak. But if we have any at all, we ought to cultivate the presence of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit's hand, as it were, upon us that will enable us to be his instrument in doing what no one can do apart from his power. Convict people of sin convince them that their way of life, that their motivation for life is wrong and surrender themselves to Jesus Christ. He assures them that this plan of him ascending to heaven and the Holy Spirit coming, that's to their advantage. What are we living for in this world? Are we just living for our own comfort or are we living to be useful to God, to do kingdom work, to make the church of Jesus Christ a glorious place? If so, then the Holy Spirit's coming ought to be a very, very compelling thing to us. Well, let me summarize before I come to my last point. The first two points I've made are this. The ascension as well as the crucifixion and the resurrection. The ascension was a part of God's plan. God's plans are always better than ours, whether we believe it or not. His plan included Jesus Christ going away, and that was crushing to the disciples. Secondly, it is in the interest of believers who have to remain here in this world that Christ has gone away because he continues to work 
and he sends his Holy Spirit to be with us. And the last thing I want to mention is this. The ascension, the ascension of Jesus Christ underscores some very vital principles about Christianity. And the first is this. Salvation does not come by seeing, it comes by believing. You, you all know that, don't you? You all know that. But, but we, we need to be gripped by that. It does not come by seeing, it comes by believing. And as I said before, we try to compensate for the fact that there's nothing great to see sometimes. The whole Church of Rome developed through centuries the idea that we have got to somehow, in a physical way, manifest the glory of God. Let's build great, ornate churches that, that are befitting to the glory of God. It didn't work. People still do that. Let's build a building that will somehow capture people's hearts for God. It does not come by seeing, it comes by believing. Many saw Christ during his earthly ministry. Many people saw Christ. Not very many believed. In fact, John chapter 12, verse 37 says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Even, even the miracles of Christ, which we believe, which may, some of the miracles of Christ may have even been the very instrument the Holy Spirit used to bring you to Christ. We believe them although we haven't seen them physically, we believe what's written in this book. Salvation is not by sight, it is by believing. There were 120 after Christ's ascension in Jerusalem. There may have been some others up in Galilee because we know that there were as many as 500 people who saw Christ on the day of his ascension. But still, it's a very small number. But the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 were added. Judas was as close to Christ as most of the disciples, and yet he did not believe. Thomas is an interesting situation. Would you, would you turn again in the Gospel of John to chapter 20? Chapter 20 of John's Gospel, verse 26. Well, let's begin in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the hands in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the next Lord's Day, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas 
was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Now let me say quickly, Thomas's experience is not something we should imitate. God was infinitely kind to Thomas to accommodate his unrighteous demand. Unless I see, I will not believe. That's, that's wrong. God in mercy accommodated Thomas and brought him to real faith. But you see, the point of Jesus' statement that we should take away is the latter part. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. There is special blessing in coming to church and hearing the word of God. If somebody in our society would be disappointed, oh, I thought I was going to come see Jesus. You will see Jesus through this word. You will see him in a way that many people who actually saw him physically did not see him. And that's, that's what really counts, is seeing him in this spiritual way. Now that brings us to what it is we are supposed to believe. Salvation is not by seeing, it's by believing, but what is it we are to believe? Have you ever thought about the fact that if it had not been for the ascension, we would not have the letters and the, any of the writings of the New Testament? The New Testament was written after Christ ascended. Christ had said, I have other things to teach you, but I won't teach you now. When the Holy Spirit comes, I will instruct you. And all of the New Testament is ours because Jesus was not here, but there. And he inspired the writing of the New Testament for us. And it is that that is the object of our faith. Our faith rests upon this book. Not that we have some kind of superstitious belief that if we hold it close enough to our heart, it'll do something for us. Or if it's big enough, I heard recently a missionary in Africa and the people there think if you've got a big Bible, you're a big Christian. <laughs> You're an important person if you've got a real big Bible. There's nothing superstitious about it. It's what's contained here. And that means that our minds have to take in what is written here. Faith is that action on man's part that God has chosen to be linked to his grace. It's not sight. It's not feelings. It's faith in Word of God written. 
Have you ever thought about the fact that it was actions based upon human sight that led us into sin in the first place? When Eve saw. I mean, this was, this was seeable that she could have seen this long before, but she saw and she put too much weight on what she saw. She saw this tree was beautiful and she saw it was good to eat. Instead of believing God's word. Romans 4 and verse 20 says in part, Abraham grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We ought to think often of the fact that this book is a faithful, God-given account of what God is like. His character is just like what this book says. And I can come to his promises and I can say, Lord, if I'm misunderstanding this, teach me, help me. I don't, I don't want to I don't want to try to believe something that is just a mistake of my own frailty of mind. But if I understand this correctly, it says this. Please, Lord, do that for me. Please, Lord, give me the grace that this promise affords to me. You're, you're, you said this. I didn't think this up. You said this. Come, Lord, and take your word and make it live in me. Well, as I conclude this morning, I just want to make these concluding applications. They come right out of what we've said, what we've noticed. And one is this. We are prone to overlook the reality of how richly endowed the church of Jesus Christ is. I've seen, I've seen churches that had endowments. Some members from long ago who really made it big in this world have endowed the church and they can build pretty much whatever they want to build and they can do pretty much what they want to do. I'm not saying that's not a blessing but I'm saying every church is endowed with incredible power. Sometimes people say I know people in high places that was never any truer that, of anybody than it is of the church. We know someone in high places. And that means that we are endowed with power. It, it, is, God's, it is God's option to know how that power will be manifested in any given situation. But, oh, dear friends, we do not honor God unless we get a hold and tenaciously hold on to the fact we are powerful because Jesus Christ is not here physically, but he's in heaven 
and he's doing everything that is necessary for the building of his church throughout every age without exception, no matter how the politics changes, no matter how people's morals decay, the church of Jesus Christ is in the world to be a manifestation of the incredible authority and power of Jesus Christ. You have the right to meditate on that. You have the right as an individual Christian to take your stand on that and say, I can be what God wants me to be in this world because the power of the Holy Spirit has been made available to me. And then secondly, and with this I close, that power must be accessed by faith in the Christ who stands uncompromisingly behind this inscripturated word. He will not fail. Not one word will fail. He will do what he has promised. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful for the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that it was on purpose. We're thankful that he didn't just get sick of the world and, and leave, and now it's up to us to do the best we can. But he left with a purpose in mind for each one of us and for each congregation. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us to meditate upon that, believe that, and implement practices that are, in, that are consistent with that. We are thankful, Father, that it really is a delight for us to live in this present age knowing how we have been endowed by your gracious power. We thank you that heaven will be just bigger and better, more blessed, than we are now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Brother Brad.